everybody. Uh, welcome to the Permanente Docs Chat. I'm your host, Alex McDonald. I'm, I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. Thank you all for tuning in to tuning in today from wherever you may be watching or listening. Um, if you have questions today, please feel to drop them in the chat. Uh, feel free to put them on comments on, on Facebook as well if you're streaming this live. Um, and we're going to get in here. So I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Uh, Sabrina Perino, who is a pediatrician from San Diego, who has been a key part of a pilot program regarding educating and empowering physicians to have conversations with, with parents and patients about gun safety. Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine has released a study in May of this year showing firearm injury is now the leading cause of death for children and adolescents. Um, I've said it before and I have to say it again, uh, gun violence is a public health crisis in this nation and, and physicians have a critical role to play in preventing uh, gun injury and violence, just like we play play in preventing any kind of injury, whether it be seatbelts or bike helmets or you name it. Um, so I'm really excited to have this conversation today. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Perino. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. All right. Well, let's let's jump right in. So tell us tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah. So like you said, I'm a pediatrician in San Diego. Um, I've been with Kaiser for almost 10 years. So um, yeah, it's been great. And like you said, we'll dive into the pilot program. And um, it's these projects and things make patient care fun and uh, meaningful. So I can't wait to give you guys some tips on what I've learned from the pilot. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, if I can, I would definitely give that a strong plug. One of the things I love about working at, at Kaiser Permanente is you can do so many things to impact patient care and, and physician in our system besides just seeing patients every day. So it's wonderful to, to get involved in all these fun projects. Well, tell us, tell us a little more about uh, this pilot uh, program um, about initiating conversations about gun safety and your your role in there as well. Yeah, so there were a few of us um, pediatricians in San Diego that were uh, volunteer selected to do this, but the idea was really to just get things started, right? I think that um, for most of us having uncomfortable conversations uh, this is one of those topics that can be uncomfortable. And so the pilot program was really trying to get things started to get a sense of how do our pediatricians feel about talking with uh, families on the subject? And then after learning some tools, how do they feel um, subsequently? And really, I mean, I think that what we came from it is that it doesn't take much to get to a space of feeling like it, it's not as bad as it seems to talk about this kind of uh, topic with people. I remember when I was a resident, actually, and, and you know, you're learning to talk to your particularly adolescents, asking them about, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. It just feels kind of awkward and uncomfortable. But the more you do it, the more you just develop that 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 ease with it um, and a little bit of ambiguity and not knowing necessarily what the answer is going to be, but knowing that you can have that conversation together. Is this is this sort of similar to is that what you felt came out of this pilot program? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think for us, we're not always with families that we know. So even getting comfortable with reading the room, getting a sense of just how to learn about these families right away in that short time period, and also getting them to walk away, not feeling like, you know, why did they come in? Because so much heavy conversation happened. I think that there's that art that comes with it that, uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope that after you guys really get comfortable with this, 
it makes it easier and you don't ever have to hesitate when it's time to talk about this with patients. Great. Tell maybe for some of us who who haven't read the the reports or um, the summaries, tell us a little more about the logistics of the of the pilot program and how exactly it worked. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we one of the things that I would say was semi standardized was getting things documented, right? Like having something listed so that we could say that um, this was discussed. It's in uh, patient instructions now, so families can access it. Um, there's a great handout that was created in uh, multiple languages that shows, and you know, I'll give you guys a little thing, you know, a one piece of paper that lists some statistics, some info, and then info on the back about, you know, if you want to learn about gun safety, here you go. It doesn't take more steps to start, you know, getting started. Um, was there a type of, was there sort of a, a, spe- a specific or a standardized training that all the physicians went through before they started doing this work? Or was this yeah. something that was just more in theory? Yeah, no, we did some training um, in advance uh, because the four of us are in different locations. And then we subsequently like dispersed our info to the rest of the clinics because for our department, we have like over 70 pediatricians in San Diego. So Right. And then it became kind of like a teasing things out of, is it, you know, certain locations in San Diego maybe have different opinions about uh, firearms in general. And so is that connected to these conversations or is it something that isn't? And it seems like it's not. So that was one thing that I was surprised and happy to see is it's not as political of a conversation as I originally thought it was going to be. Hmm. Interesting. How how have physicians and other healthcare team members responded to this training? And then have you have they implemented it and are they continuing to implement it in practice? Yeah, I think that like most things, everybody's always a little cautious when there's a new project going around. Um, I think we all get nervous that it's going to impact our time management during the day. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like for the most part, everyone was pretty receptive, I think appreciative of um giving some tips on how to have those conversations. And it sounds like the people that wanted to adopt it were able to do so. And, you know, there's always people that it's, it's harder for them to have those conversations, but I think this is one of those work in progress types of projects that we're still around and this is still an issue. So at some point, I think everybody will eventually get on board with understanding how important it is. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I know time management is always a little a little tricky here. Um, in practicing family medicine myself, with twenty minutes per patient and having twenty things to address, it can be a little bit challenging. So, but I, I, I'd imagine this would be something where you'd start the conversation and then you'd continue to follow up over time as well. It wouldn't just sort of be a a one and done type of thing. Is is it? Would that be an accurate assessment? It could be, but it also can be brought into a one one and done because, like mm-hmm. I said, we don't always see these patients. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll see my colleagues panel patients for their physicals, so yeah. I can still get something started. Um, and you know, maybe it will continue, maybe not, but I know that at least I was able to do something helpful. No, that's great. I know sometimes just, just planting the seed and even having one of your colleagues follow up can be beneficial too. Um, you, you mentioned this being highly politicized, and I, I know that a lot of physicians are sort of afraid to ask sometimes, um, but how do, you, how do you decide when to have the conversation 
And then how do you start the conversation um, with either the patient or the parent about, about gun safety? Yeah, I mean, I think that it can be started as early as when they're toddlers, right? Like for us, we see these kids so young that we can lump it in with injury prevention discussion. So if I'm going to talk about summertime pool safety, I can also include, you know, a little blurb about if you have guns, you know, make sure that you put them away so that your toddler is not going to find them. And then as the kids get older, the conversation continues into, you know, sometimes we have a sense of like what our families do for work. I have a lot of family that is in law enforcement, border patrol. And so guns are part of their job. Mm-hmm. And the conversation is still the same of like most families want their kids safe. So as long as you kind of center the conversation about having your kids understand that, you know, for this job, this is what the family has. If you want to learn about firearm safety, your potentially your parent could teach you about it. But at the same time, then you continue that conversation of, okay, if you have a preteen, a teenager, someone who's at higher risk of injury, um, you know, like it really is just kind of getting a sense of how much is this family invested in looking out for those kids. If you can really hone in on that emotion, I think that's really what erases the politics behind it because I don't think that the conversation is focused on having firearms or not in the home. It's more about this is how you do things to make sure your kids don't access the weapons that are in your home and, and potentially get hurt. I Got think it. most families appreciate that. Yeah. So, so it sounds like it's just like all things we do. Uh, we center finding that common ground with the patient to really promote health and, and wellness, whether it be, you know, exercise recommendations or bike helmets or seatbelts or, or, or gun, gun safety as well. Um, and I, I imagine that's a much more, um, less politically charged way to, to, to address this concern. And I imagine you don't, I imagine, do you get any pushback or do you, do you ever, ever have patients get angry asking about this? I'm just curious. Usually my patients don't, I have a very non-threatening, uh, approach in the clinic. So that helps me. Um, I think when I have some families where I have no idea what they're going to do, sometimes I'll go even more uh, roundabout and I'll have the conversation about, um, you know, if kids have uh, like cousins or family members that they visit, what to do if they see something that looks like a gun and they're not sure if it's real or not. So yeah. that it takes the, the conversation even further back. And it's not even in the home conversation. It's just a, if you're out at so, you know, someone else's house, what would you do? And then I've had kids where they say something that shows that they understand safety. And I've had other kids where I can tell that they haven't learned yet that it's hard to tell sometimes if guns are real or not. And Mm -hmm. so that will then open up the dialogue of if a family's surprised with what the kid has said, we can say, well, okay, you know, here's more info. Please start talking to your kid a little bit more about how to be careful. And it helps them be more aware too of what to, what to do. And that's a great, that's a great tip to even taking it one, one step removed as well for, for people to feel less sort of um, threatened or confronted. Uh, that's, that's really helpful, but it sounds like most people are very open to this and willing to have the conversation. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. I think like, like I said, as long as you don't have the conversation about should you have or not have guns in the home, I think that that's how even some of our, you know, like 
ICD codes were listed, it wasn't, it used to be listed as guns in the home. And that already is labeling things in a way of like, almost like blaming. Mm. Now it just says like a gun safety counseling. And so I think that language in itself makes it easier to put that into someone's chart, knowing they're not going to see it later and be like, what does this mean? What are you saying about us and our family? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, um, that's a great point as well, too. I always, I always feel bad on, on my patient charts, putting, putting obesity. Uh, so I just put the BMI, which is more, more objective anyway, too. So anyway, I digress. So there's a question here in the chat. Um, do, do parents ever bring up current events such as school shootings during a visit? Um, and if they do, you know, how do you, how do you handle that conversation? Cause I imagine that can be, that can be very sensitive as well. Yeah. I mean, for us as pediatricians, Uh, I have patients who have lost friends, family members to gun violence. So I see it sometimes as they're coming in for mental health support. And it's pretty common to have those things come up. Um, I wouldn't say that, like, I would necessarily bring it up in conversation because I don't know where the kids are in terms of um, their understanding of what's going on in a school setting because I want kids to enjoy being at school. So I wouldn't bring up like, you know, you're in danger at being at school. Um, I don't think that every kid can handle that kind of conversation, but yeah, I mean, it's part of our day-to-day thing of we're always ready to have those conversations if the families need it. Right. That makes sense. How do you, do you, do you bring this up, this question in this screening with every single family or, or how do you choose maybe which family um, you, you, you discuss gun safety versus others who maybe you focus on, on something else? Cause obviously you can't do everything at every visit. So what makes you um, decide when or, or, or when not to have these conversations? Yeah. I mean, I would say sometimes I just go off of my instinct in the room Um, when we were doing the pilot, I definitely was doing more. Um, but I also think that the reality is that you can't always talk to every family about everything. Mm -hmm. And so I will tailor it of like, you know, if someone's having conversation about how they're going to have a sleepover or, you know, a parent has a new job and it is with, you know, somewhere where they're going to be having firearms. Like sometimes there's these little clues that come up. Or I'll see siblings and there is a, you know, an older sibling with a younger one um, or they have, you know, a T-shirt that has a video game on it. There's, there's all these little clues that I will use when I'm in the room to say like, oh, OK, you know, let's try this. Interesting. Yeah. So, sometimes what I'll do is I'll sort of mention something and then I'll give them a bunch of information on their after visit summary, hoping that they'll read that and go back to it and review it more later. And it might get them thinking and spark the conversation for next time as well, too. But obviously that's less than ideal. But as you said, you can't do everything all the time, despite how much we want. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, many of us, um, many of us didn't learn again, just like we were, you kind of started with before. We didn't learn how to address gun safety with patients in either medical school or residency. So how can people who are watching this or other physicians who are listening later, how can they uh, better equip themselves to empower themselves and to empower their patients and the other healthcare team members to, to sometimes have these conversations with patients? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that practicing, right. So that's one of the ways to do it. Some of, you know, if there's a physician who's really nervous and uncomfortable talking about this, start talking to your colleagues. 
ask them if you can practice doing a little blurb with them um, or some of the other, you know, ancillary staff that supports. There's always people around. So I think just practicing will make it where you get to a place that it, it just is easy and you can talk to anyone about it. Um, but yeah, recognizing that uh, if you feel nervous, even talking about it, don't start practicing in the rooms, just start practicing around until it gets comfortable. Yeah, I have to admit, I hate those role play scenarios we always did in medical school or even sometimes during residency and training, but sometimes like saying the words really helps too. So um, again, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the role play, but I think it definitely has a role, has a role sometimes to do role play. Has has a has a useful benefit. We'll stop. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's another question here in the chat. Also, um, do is there any evidence about you, you know using lock boxes for guns? Or I know some people say separate the gun and the ammunition. Uh, is there any evidence for that? And do you make make any of those recommendations in general, or is it more depending on the on the family in a case by case basis? Yeah, I mean, I think that <coughs> it is. I mean, safest if if there's nothing there, right? Next safest would be things that are completely separate and locked away. So I, I think that in a realistic setting, you may not get into that much detail because of the time constraints of the visit. But, you know, ideally, if you in your, you know, um, like area of service can potentially work with, um, like law enforcement or some other advocacy groups that are encouraging ways where maybe they can, you know, you could host like a drive that can hand out some of these locks. Cause that's one of the things that did come up was there's different levels of uh, affordability when it comes to um, firearm safety. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> how do you make it as accessible and affordable as possible so that people don't feel like, they can't keep their weapons safe because it's too expensive to do so. But I'd be curious to see who else is able to get some of that accomplished um, more locally. Yeah, no, that's what it makes a lot of sense. Um, what are what are some what are some red flags that that may come up uh, that make you worried about um, about a child in particular, and how do you how do you address that, or are you obligated to then sort of report uh, or refer those patients as well? And does that does that put you in kind of an uncomfortable odd situation sometimes? Mm, I mean, I feel like nowadays, like every kid is a red flag for something, so I I tend to lean on the side of um, you know if I'm worried that one of my patients is screening for risk of suicide or violence towards classmates or family. Yeah. You know, I, I would hate to know that something happened and I had just seen someone or I, you know, that I could have done something to help them. So mm. I try to, to screen as much as possible. And like I said, listening to those little cues of if something seems off, go with it it's always easier to work backwards and say like, okay, actually they, they were okay mm-hmm. versus the other way. Yeah. And no, that makes perfect sense. Well, I, I mean, I, for one, am really proud of the, um, Kaiser Permanente uh, Injury Prevention Task Force, which KP started in 2018 as part of a, a $2 million pledge to to address and research 
um, gun gun injury and gun violence as well too. So I'm I'm really proud of an organization which which takes this forward looking role and in, in wanting to do what's best for our patients and our community to, to keep us all safe and healthy too, um, which I think is really wonderful. So, Dr. Priya, this is great. We could probably talk all day, but I'm, I'm gonna have to wrap it up unfortunately. Um, so, but thank you so much for these tips and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks everybody who's uh, watched this. I appreciate it. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.